Amen. Have a seat. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to go ahead and flip there, that would be just fine. Um, if you think about first century Christianity, I think you would agree that there are some beautiful pictures in it. Um, it's really, really beautiful, but at the same time, it's very rugged. It has both of those features to it. And probably a good place to see that is you've got like the beauty of an Acts 6 and 7. Stephen, it says, he is full of grace and power. He is accomplishing all these crazy things, signs, wonders, all these great works. And then he's falsely accused. He's arrested. He appears before the guy that literally has um, his life in his hands. And he preaches a beautiful sermon to this guy. And, and so you see this, this really beautiful picture. Like this is Stephen. And he really believes what he says he believes. Like unlike a lot of people, like he's really in with both feet on this thing. He really authentically believes what he says he believes. So he preaches this sermon, um, beautiful sermon in Acts 7. You ought to read it sometime. And, and then you see the rugged reality of first century Christianity. Um, it just enrages the people that he preaches it to. They drag him to the outskirts of town and they literally stone him to death. Now, it, it, and I say this all the time, and I hope this starts to sink in. If you don't read that too quickly, and you think as you read that, that ought to bring some emotion to you. I, I read that, and like, I want to cry as I'm reading that. You've got a guy that is authentic enough, both feet in enough, that he is willing to preach to anybody anywhere. He's drugged outside of town, and they start throwing rocks at him. Now, rocks can be funny when it's gravel. But when rocks start to pound hard enough and heavy enough and numerous enough that they beat the life out of you, that's an entirely different thing, right? I mean, that is a beautiful yet rugged picture of first century Christianity. And that's the context that the book of Hebrews is written into. If you go to the end of chapter 10 in Hebrews, you start to see that these guys are enduring some crazy stuff. I mean, these guys are in the midst of Acts 6 sort of stuff. It's going to say this about them, um, that you've been in a hard struggle with suffering, it says. You go to the end of chapter 10, it's going to say that you've been publicly exposed to mockery and affliction. I mean, you are publicly getting wrung through this thing. Um, it's going to go on and say that you've been mistreated. Okay, it's going to go on and say that, and listen to this, it says, you've joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Okay, now when you're in college, that doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, what are they going to take, your three pencils? But when, when you've got a family and, and you've got kind of life working here, that's an entirely different thing. I mean, imagine a dad and his family getting drugged out of their home. Their stuff burned. If anything's valuable, somebody confiscates it and takes it and puts it in their home. I mean, that is a rough picture that these guys are in the middle of. And in the middle of that context, um, the writer of Hebrews is going to look at them. He's going to encourage them. Don't give up. You are a young and endangered church and hold steadfast. Keep going. Don't give up on this thing. And he's going to say this at the end of chapter 10. There are some who shrink back like in fear. They cowardly retreat from the front lines. But there are others who through faith, they persevere, they endure, they keep running this race, they keep attempting great things for the glory of God. All through faith, they do this. And he's saying, this is the sort of people, this is the sort of church that you want to be. You don't want to be those who shrink back. You want to be those who move forward in faith. And then in chapter 11, he just displays it. He, basically, he's saying, listen, I could tell you this all day long, but let me give you pictures of this. 
And so he rolls them out. Here's Noah. By faith, this is a man that has moved forward. This is Abraham. By faith, this is a man who has moved forward, not shrinking back, not running from the front lines, not being a coward, but heroically attempting great things for the glory of God. Here's Moses. By faith, move forward. And and then he kind of gets into all these historic examples, these guys who who move forward, even though it cost them their lives. Okay, now that takes us to chapter 12. And I want to read these first couple of verses to you here. Verse 1 goes like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Your version might say, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that clings so closely. Maybe for you it says, the sin which so easily entangles. And let us run with endurance the race that is marked out before us, or set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder or the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, now I I love this. Like I think the writer here has got a little bit of a preacher at heart here. Like he's saying, listen, I've given you all that you need. I can't speak about this anymore. I, I can't give you another illustration. I, it is it is past all that. Like we have moved through all that, and now this is my last words to you: Do something with it. I qu- stop just listening to it, and actually apply it. Do something with it. And here is his do something with it remark. He's going to say this: Run the race. Run the race. This is why you're here. By faith, run the God-given race set before Run the, okay, now, basically he's saying this, that this is your imagery for the Christian life. Okay, now, if you start reading through the New Testament and even the Bible, you're going to see a lot of different imageries uh, of what it means to live for Jesus. Like in John 15, um, John is going to say this. Here's your image. You're the vine, or you're the branch. I'm, Jesus is the vine. So if you want to live well for Jesus, you've got to, as the, as the branch, stay plugged into the vine. If you get cut off or if you get separated, you're going to die. You can't sustain yourself as a branch. The tree is what sustains you. Okay, that's imagery of what it means to live for Jesus well. Okay, now in this one, he's going to say, here's your imagery. The imagery I want to throw out here is you are a runner in a race. You know what? I think it's really important for you to see that, especially in 21st century America. Here's what that means for us. If we're going to be runners in a race, it means that there's going to be sweat involved. It means that there's going to be action involved. It's not just passive. It means that we are actively doing something. It takes work. It takes discipline. To run takes a plan. Like To run means all those different things are in play here. It is vigorous exertion of energy. We are at work when we run. And if we are not sweating spiritually right now, you know what that means? That we're not running very well. If we're not gasping for a little bit of breath right now, here's what it means. That we're coasting. Oh, okay, so, so let me give some defining marks of what this race looks like what it means to be a runner in this race. He's saying this, that if you want to live well for me, like this is the action part of this. You have got to run this race well. Okay, so some defining marks of the race. Number one, a defining mark would be like something like this, that there is a God-given race. That that God is saying, like here's what he's saying in, in Hebrews 12. He's saying, listen, let us run with endurance the race set before us. 
And so God has given you a race. Like God has set a race before you for you to run. Okay, now here's the problem that a lot of us have here. Is there's a lot of competing races. I mean, this isn't the only race you can run in life. I mean, there's a bunch of us that, I mean, we love to run the possession race. The how much can I accumulate race. The let's make sure I've got the biggest and the nicest and the best of everything race. The let's make sure if my neighbor has this, I have this, we're all, okay, that's another race. Okay, you've got the race of um, power. A lot of people run it. You have got the race of pleasure. A quarter of all internet searches are pornography related. A lot of people run it. Okay, you've got a ton of competing races, but here's the problem. None of those races are what you're meant for. None of those races are the ones that God has set before you. Okay, could you imagine this? Could you imagine being a runner? You have worked for it. You have, I mean, you have sweat. You are drenched. You are exhausted. You're tired. You're all of that. And you see the finish line. And the finish line's before you, and you get the last kick, right? Like, you've got that last kick. You're going to turn it on. Do your, unless you're a, a short white guy, then you don't have a kick, okay? And so you give your last kick, and you make it to the finish line. And then you start to look around, and you realize at that moment that I have run the wrong race. Isn't that a weighty thing that I think a lot of us are going to experience? I have been given this race by God, and yet I finish this thing someday, and I look around, and I have run the wrong one. Like, I have spent my years for the wrong one. I have spent my energy. I have sweat for the wrong race. Uh, okay, so the race that God has given all of us, from Genesis to Revelation, it, it goes like this. It is building, extending, whatever kind of word you want to put onto that, building and extending the glory of God. That is the race. That's what sits on top of the race. That's what the race is for. That's the aim of the race. That is what the race is about. We articulate it this way around here. And this is kind of what we're about here. Extending the glory of God through lives changed by the gospel. For that to happen, it means that we are taking great attempts all along the way. It means that we are being obedient, that we are moving to holiness all along the way. That even in the midst of the absurd uncertainty, all of that by faith, we move forward. Extending the glory of God through lives changed by the gospel. Okay, so let me stop and ask you the question. Are you running the race? Are you running? Not are you coasting? Not are you out in for a little job? I mean, are you running hard in the race? Okay, here would be another uh, mark of the race. Everyone's race is unique. Everybody's got a unique race. Like he's going to say this, that this is Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews, he's going to say that there is a race that is given by God that is set for you set for us. There is a race, your version might say, marked out for us. And I think this is the point of that, that your race is unique, that all of us come from different backgrounds, different spheres of influence. Like Mike Harmon over here loves coffee. All my coffee knowledge is from Mike Harmon. He worked at Summer, was it Summer J? Is that Summer, what was the oil? 
Summer J. Yeah, he, he's come from this kind of oil background. Now he works at National Semiconductor, at least for a little while. Um, okay, so, so he's got this sphere of influence that I don't have. His race looks different from mine. I didn't work for Summer J. I, I, I didn't work in the oil. I didn't do any of that. I haven't been to Maine. I'm not a Boston Red Sox fan. I'm not any of those things. Thank the Lord, huh? Okay, so, so I'm none of those things. Yeah. Okay, you've got Chad Parsons over here. He's tried to explain to me about four times what he does. I still have no clue what it is. I'm just hoping it's not mafia-related. Okay, so you've got Chad. He's got his own sphere of influence. He's got this thing working. I don't have that working. We do both come from the same kind of area in Oklahoma. Don't hold that against us. It's backwoods. You wouldn't like it, I promise. Okay, so um, we've all got these different things. Okay, now here's the other part of this race. Your race is going to have twists and turns that my race will not have. Your race will have twists and turns that mine does. You get the picture here. Okay, so Laura, her mom and dad, Fred and Polly Christian, they're having their first son, Mike. And uh, she, is, she goes into labor. It's like a Friday. She is in labor. I mean, this is full throttle game time. They get to the doctor, and the on-call doctor has five of his own patients in labor the same weekend. He gives her a shot to slow down the labor, sends her home. She's in labor for three days. Okay, now in the middle of this, um, oxygen starts to get cut off to Mike. So I think it's like Monday now, Mike is born, but because of the trauma of three days of labor, he has cerebral palsy. That is what you call a twist and a turn in the race. Now, okay, here's the point. If you're running the comfort race, your world just blew up. But if you are running the glory of God race, you just have the chance for a beautiful display of how God works in that. All of our races are different. Laura, she is, I think, 19 at this point, freshman year in college. She gets a phone call. Um, Her dad was refereeing a high school football game in Oklahoma that night. He is chasing down a play, on the football field, chasing down a play when he has a heart attack, dies on the football field. She gets a call as a freshman in college, your dad has just died. That is a twist and a turn. And if your race is the comfort race, your world just blew up. But if it's the glory of God race, Lord gets this beautiful chance to say, look at the sweetness of Jesus even in the midst of that. Okay, so I want to just prepare you for your future here. None of us are going to be free from twists and turns. And if you're running any other race than the glory of God race, when that twist and that turn occurs you won't survive unless you're running the right one. Okay, so um, it's unique. It's a God-given race. And here would be the third kind of mark of the race. The race is long. Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, he's going to say that, listen, you've got to run with endurance. And, and so I think if you've got endurance in play, you're probably running more than a 40 meters, Right? Like, it's probably not a short race if it takes endurance. So here's what the writer's saying. You need to be in this for the long haul. Okay, now, if you look around here, I would say we're fairly young. Um, Wayne, um, over here last week, he came for the first time, and he was talking, I think, to Sam. And (laughs) this is so funny. He, He says, where are all the old people? And I said, man, did you not see Bill Stewart? 
I mean, this guy is, I mean, this guy is old over, right? Okay, and so uh, you look around, we're pretty young, right? Okay, now, now I need, okay, you need to hear this. For our young guys in here, let, let me speak to you first. There are many more people who start marathons than finish them. And if you look in Scripture, you see on the back half of life a lot of people who bite the dust, right? I mean, think of Solomon, of David. I mean, you see a lot of people who go down hard. And so for our young guys in here, I just want to put this out in front of you. Run in such a way that you can win the race and not just start the race. For our older guys in here, um, for those advanced in years, I'm going to plead with you to give us great examples of Hebrews 11 type people who lived through their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, maybe some of you hundreds, well for the glory of God. Give us those examples. I'm going to plead with you not to coast, not to hang up the towel, not to slow down to a, to a walk, not to stop, but to finish your race well. We need those examples so bad. This place will need those examples. And I pray that you'll be that for us. Okay, so that's, that's the race. It is all about the glory of God. Your God-given race is meant to extend the glory of God. It is unique. You're going to have twists and turns that are marked out for you. And then it's going to be long. Like, it's not a short race. This thing is a marathon. Okay, now, now Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, maybe Paul, I, I kind of lean that way. He, he's going to now give us some race requirements. If you're going to win, if you're going to be in this thing for the long haul, these are some things that have got to happen. You cannot run well if these things don't. And listen to what he's going to say here. Um, look at Hebrews uh, 12. He's going to say this, Let us also lay aside every weight, so all the weights have to be laid aside. Then he's going to say this, and sin which clings so closely. So he's going to give us two race requirements. Number one goes like this, that you have got to lay aside sin. You've got to. You cannot run well in the race if you are clinging to sin. It can't happen. Here's what sin at the end of the day does. It makes you stop running. You cannot run and have sin at the same time. It's impossible. Some of your versions are going to say this about the sin, that it entangles. It is like a net that you cannot get out of. Okay, Matthew 6, I think is helpful when it paints this picture for it. It's going to say this, you cannot have two masters. You're going to love one, hate the other, be loyal to one, and despise the other. But you can't have two. You cannot have Jesus as a master and sin as a master. You can't do it. Sin will always call, cause you to stop in the midst of the race. It always does. Can you imagine an Olympic athlete lining up on, on kind of the, the, the line here? And as he lines up, he goes ahead and he buckles on some shackles. Let me go ahead and, and, and buckle some shackles to my ankles here. You're not going to see that because you can't run for the long haul with shackles on. Okay, so not to beat this up, but let me just hit this real plainly. This is a clear call from the writer of Hebrews to his people. Lay aside sin. And I, I think we need to hear a real clear call in this building to lay aside sin. That God cares about your personal holiness. That God sees it all. 
And at the end of the day, you're robbing yourself for what God wants for you. It's impossible to stop at the mud hole of pornography and run the race. It's impossible to stop at the mud hole of selfishness and yet run. It's impossible to stop at the mud hole of greed and still run. It's impossible to, whatever mud hole that is, it's impossible to stop there yet run. So may we be a place who takes serious the call to lay aside sin. Okay, now the second race requirement, and this is huge. He's going to say this. You've not only got to lay aside sin, that's fairly black and white. You can read your Bible and get a real clear sense of sin in a hurry. But he's going to say this, that you have got to also lay aside your weights. And the weights, and your, your version may say those things that encumber you or hinder you. Okay, now, this is something we need to hear. This is why most people don't run their race well. And let's just be honest, most people don't run well. Okay, so this is a primary reason. is because most people, when it it comes to their decision-making questions, am I going to have a TV or not? Am I going to buy this or not buy that? Is this the house, not the house, car, not the, whatever decision you want to go for, just spread them across the spectrum. Is my kid going to play this or not? I mean, just across, you know the questions. If your only question you use to discern wisdom for your decision is this, if your only question is, is this sin or not sin? If that is your only question, it is impossible for you to run the race well. It's impossible. That, that is a good question, but if that's your only question, it will never happen. You'll never run for the long haul. Let me define what a weight is for you, and then we'll talk about the right questions. A weight is anything, you might want to write this down, a weight is anything that diminishes your desire for God. Weights. Anything, not, not, these are more, could be morally neutral things. They're not evil things. Anything that diminishes your desire for God. Maybe another definition for weight. A weight is anything that would keep you from running the race well. So if it diminishes your desire for God, it's a weight. If it keeps you, hinders you from running the race well, it's a weight. So maybe our most beneficial questions are not even that is this sin, is this, maybe the most beneficial question goes like this. Does this diminish my desire for Jesus? Does this diminish how well I can run in the race? Is this going to kill my effectiveness in the race? Is this going to rob me from my joy and my desire for God? Okay, now here's the thing. If your answer is yes to that, it diminishes my desire, it keeps me from running well, then here's the thing. It is a weight, and the writer is saying, listen, if you want to run well, you have got to lay those things aside. So we need to make sure we are asking the right questions here. Okay, so let's just apply that. And these are morally neutral things. They're not evil things. These are, could be good things. But just apply that issue, that question, to the host of decisions you have to make. Does my kid play this or not? The night sport. Do I have a TV in my home or not? I'm not saying yes or no to that. I'm not making any law for you. I'm asking this. Is it a weight or does it spur you on to run the race well? 
do I listen to this or not? Do I watch this or not? Do I spend my time there or not? Are these going to be my closest friends or not? I mean, just go down the spectrum of things. If it hinders you from effectively running, if it hinders your desire, diminishes your desire for God, it's a weight that needs to be thrown aside. Okay. The writer's going to go on to say this. And we're going to end with this. These are your, basically your your two big motivators here. He's going to say this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, motivator number one, He's going to say, listen, this is motivation to run the race. Therefore, in light of what we just read in in Hebrews 11, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, here would be the finishing phrase, let us run. Here's the picture I think he's trying to throw out before you here to just encourage you to motivate you to run well. I I think he's throwing this out. Imagine this race, and Noah starts it. Okay, so Noah is sprinting around the track. He is running. He's got baton in hand, and he passes it to Abraham. Hebrews 11. He passes it. Abraham takes the baton, and then he runs. And Abraham runs his 30, 40, 50 years in the race, and he passes it to Moses. And then Moses picks up the baton, and then he runs. And then Moses passes it to the next guy. And eventually David gets it. And David runs his race. And then David eventually passes it to the next guy. And eventually Paul picks it up. And he runs his race. His 30, 40 years in history, he runs it. The next guy picks it up. Runs his race. And then eventually it is you and somebody calls stick. And they put it in your hand and they say run. And I want to ask you this. Are you running in such a way that you would fit into this Hebrews 11 story? Man, I look at that and I'm, I can't let, I have got to run well for their sake too. I mean, I think it's them looking and saying, don't be a slacker. Use your 40-year window well. Spend your life on the glory of God and run. Okay, now here, here's, the, I think, the other way that it's a motivating thing for us. Yesterday, I mowed the lawn, and I, I've got to tell you, it was one of the most frustrating 30 minutes of my life. I get out there, and I get my lawnmower. I start mowing. I'm in the backyard now, and I have a dog. He's, he's a lab. And he has dropped stuff in the back everywhere. I look down, and it's all over my shoes. Great. This is, this is going well. I'm mowing in the backyard I lift up the slide to mow under it, break off the slide. Great. I come back, I go to get the weed eater, and as I'm getting the weed eater, I, we've got these little cabinets in our garage. I run straight into that cabinet. I, it literally, I thought it knocked me out for a second. I get the weed eater, I start weed eating, I run out of weed eater wire. I go back to try to find, it's in our garage somewhere, but we have about eight tons of stuff in our garage right now. I can't find it. I mean, I am a human wrecking ball out on the lawn yesterday. I I finish up, I get in the shower, and here's what I thought. David Brainerd, I'm reading his biography right now. He was a missionary to the Native Americans in the 1700s. This was the thought. I'm taking a shower, frustrated, want to headbutt something. And here's what David Brainerd, 
rode 3,000 miles on horseback to witness and proclaim the gospel to these Indians while having tuberculosis and died at the age of 29. Most of his ministry, the people hated him. Rodney, suck it up. Are you serious? A weed eater ran out of water and you're... Are you, really? This morning, um, it was so funny. We were back stage praying a second ago. James this morning had a wreck on the way. Stephen, his fiance, the battery died, probably the alternator. I, I don't have money to pay for an alternator. In moments like that, we need stories of people who have walked before us, who have endured much more than we probably ever will to spur us on. I'm going to plead with you on this. Be a reader. For the sake of your soul, read good Christian, probably Christian missionary biography for the sake of your soul and for the perseverance of your race. I think you ought to read it. You can go to the website. We've got some really great recommendations. I think it would be food for your heart. Read great Christian biography. So he says, listen, this should be a motivator for you. You're surrounded by people who have run well. And Hebrews 11.4 is going to say this, although they're dead, their story still speaks to us. So make sure you know it. Become friends with these people and run well. And then he's going to say this, and we'll close it with this. He's going to say, motivator number two, look to Jesus. This, this is your motivation. Look to Jesus. Um, I, I, I'm a novice at the parenting thing. I've got an 18-month-old. But, but God continues to teach me through it. And he, here's one of the, the six senses that I've picked up in 18 months of parenting. I know exactly what Hannah's going to do when we drop her in the floor. I can put her in the living room. I know exactly what's happening. All I have to do is look at her eyes, right? If she's looking at the remote, that's what she's going for. If she's looking at the little books down there, that's what she, whatever she's looking at, that's what she's... We don't outgrow that trait. We don't. What you are looking at in life is where your life is headed. If you are looking constantly at money, that's where your life is headed. If you are looking constantly at yourself, that's where your life is headed. What you are looking at is where your life is going. May we be the sort of people who look to Jesus so that our life will go toward Jesus, so that it will look like Jesus. Last, last bit, and then we're, we're out. It's going to say this about Jesus' race, that for the joy set before him, he endured it. He went for it. He ran it. So I want to give you this encouragement as we wrap up. There are days in your race where it feels like you can go no more. There are twists and turns that knock the breath out of you. When those twists and those turns come, look to Jesus who, for the joy set before him, kept running. You can stop at any mud hole along the way. Doesn't it feel good sometimes just to stop and get a breath? But it will pale in comparison to the joy of crossing the line well. Amen? This is your homework. This is your homework. In the next three weeks, here's what I would love for every one of you to do. You cannot run well unless you plan your race. In the next three weeks, get one day. Maybe it's just an afternoon for you. 
one day where you completely unplug. No cell phone at your hand, no beeper if you carry one. It's going to be weird if you do. Most people don't now. Um, Where you are completely unplugged with Bible, pen, and paper in hand and set spiritual goals for your race this fall. Scripture memory, reading. Set goals for you. If you do not plan your race, someone else will plan it for you. Take an afternoon, plan your race. Think about what sin needs to be laid aside. What weights are in our life? I've been so convicted this week on weights that are in my life that have got to go for me to run well. What weights are in your life that have got to be laid aside? Then share that with people in your home group. Get a crew around you that will pray for you and encourage you and hold you accountable to your race and run it. Let's pray. God, I pray for the Stonegate family here. God, I pray for the sort of grace that would allow us to run well for you. That, that would make sure that we are in the right race, that our life is planted squarely in the race that you have marked out for us, that you have set before us. God, I pray that we would run, as a, as a corporate body, as the Stonegate family, God, I pray that we would have a race and we would run a race that is pleasing and honorable to you that we would run the race by faith in all that you are, in all that you promise, God, that we would have faith in that. And that faith would give us the ability to take great leaps for you. In the midst of the absurd, that we would be obedient, that we would work for holiness. God, that we would sweat in discipline. One of my favorite imageries that I love to throw before people goes like this. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about heaven. Take a second and let your heart get there. Think about heaven for just a second. Can you imagine it? Can you picture it? The Revelation 21 picture of perfection, of all that is incomplete now being complete then, of all that is imperfect now being perfect then. And I want you to picture this scene of you pulling up the chair next to some of the historic saints of the scriptures. Imagine yourself, the table just split and a chair is pulled up and you sit down and you look around and the people you have read about, the people you feel like you know so well from the scriptures are there. Noah, he's sitting at the table. Abraham is sitting at the table. Moses is at the table. David is at the table. Paul is at the table. And then the stories start to go. And as the stories go, Noah opens it up and he says, you wouldn't believe what happened. God said to build an ark and I did it. By faith, I did it. I built an ark and God used it. And then... All the attention turns to Moses. And Moses says, you wouldn't believe it, but God called me. A huge task. 
way above me. God called me to free the people of Egypt. By faith, we went for it. And God did it. The eyes switch back to Abraham. Abraham says, God called me to leave my home. God told me that um, we would have descendants as numerous as the stars in heaven, and we had no son. By faith, we went. All eyes turned to Paul. You wouldn't believe the churches we planted. And then picture this table where all of those eyes look directly at you. You've got Noah, David, Paul. All these eyes turn to you and they say, what is your story? Tell us about your race. Tell us how you ran it. And I'm pleading with you today to have a story in that moment. At that day, when all eyes turn your direction, that you have something better than, look at my house. You wouldn't believe the business. You wouldn't believe how good I was in high school. I mean, seriously, that you would have a story that would be honorable, pleasing, that you would run your race in such a way that at that day you have a story of great God-honoring attempts all along your race. May it be for you. May it be for me. May it be for us. In that moment, we have got the sort of stories that would fit Hebrews 11. God, we pray for that. God, I pray that you would give us that. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you